Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Arise. It is your host, Catherine here. If you don't know who I am, I am an LCSW based in Southern California. I am a public speaker, professional trainer, therapist, coach, and podcaster. My area of expertise is really around burnout prevention and recovery and resilience in social work. I am so glad that you're here today. Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of misconceptions around self-care, right? A lot of times when we hear the word self-care, we're thinking going to the spa, getting a facial, getting our nails done, right? Which is fine, but it's really a lot more than that. And as a mental health professional, it has to go deeper, right? Not all self-care is created equal. So we need to really stop wasting our time with self-care that is not helpful, even detrimental to our mental health. So this episode is for you so that you can decide for yourself what kind of self-care you need and when, because it's going to look different for you on a daily basis. It's going to look different for you than it would be from your colleague. And that is perfectly okay. If you want more on how to, essentially how to dive into self-care and how to um, just recognize burnout and prevention, then definitely check out the Success in Clinical Social Work um, webinar that I have. Sorry, I'm all over the place today. But definitely check that out because it's going to really dive into what is self-care, what is effective, what do you need to look out for as a social worker to really be successful in this career long-term. If you are a new graduate or if you are in your last year of your program, whether it's BSW or MSW, then definitely check out the Success in Clinical Social Work workshop. It is pre-recorded. It is self-paced, so you can watch it on your own time. And it is a minimal investment for the amount of wellness and information that you're going to receive. Also, if you are in need of a clinical supervisor, definitely check out the RISE directory at risedirectory.com. So with all of that said, let's hop into this episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine, here. Today, we are going to talk about self-care. And this goes into what does self-care look like for us as humans? And what do we need to reduce our stress levels and to help bring our bodies and our nervous systems back down to baseline? Because that is really what it's all about. When we talk about self-care today, I'm talking about what is going to reduce your stress. 
I'm not talking about your boundaries at work. I'm not talking about your environment. I'm talking about you as a human. What do you need? If you don't know who I am, I am Catherine Moore. I'm an LCSW based out of Southern California. I am a podcast host, speaker, therapist, and course and content creator. I am so glad that you found my podcast. And here I like to talk about the things that you need to know to be successful as a clinical social worker that you probably did not learn in grad school. If there's ever any topics that you hear on the podcast that you feel that your organization or your university would benefit from, please reach out. Let me know. I am offering professional trainings at universities and organizations on topics around wellness, mental health, self-care, and resiliency. So today, I wanted to just go over... What are ways that we can reduce our stress, right? So last week, I talked about stress versus burnout, and what does that look like? What does burnout do to you, and how does it show up in our life? And today, we're going to talk about ways to reduce this stress overall. And chances are, you probably know what to do, and I'm going to reiterate some of them, but some of them may also be new for you. First, I will start out with what is not self-care? So self-care and the way I'm defining it here is ways to reduce our stress levels. It's not scrolling on Instagram, scrolling on Facebook, scrolling on whatever, TikTok. That is not self-care in and of itself. Uh, Going to get lattes is not a form of self-care in and of itself. Drinking coffee is not a form of self-care. Additionally, when I talk about self-care, I'm talking about when we as professionals in the mental health space are doing our work, we're going to encounter more severe situations than people in the normal general population would. For example, as a mental health professional doing community mental health or child protection services or working in as a medical social worker, the things that you see and experience on a daily basis are going to be very much or much more stressful and much more, they're going to take more of an emotional toll from you than it would if say you were a loan processor, just talking about money, just getting loans out right? Or if you were working in retail, selling some cute tops, like, oh, these shoes look so good on you, girl. So while all these jobs may be difficult, ours are especially challenging given the situations that we encounter, the trauma that we encounter, and the vicarious trauma that we may experience as a result of being in and near and around human suffering. So that's why it's important to do this self-care every single day. And while you're not going to do all of the things I'm going to talk about, you need to do something, right? So if you like getting your lattes, integrate mindfulness into this. Be intentional about what you're doing, right? So if you are scrolling on TikTok, that in and of itself is not self-care. But if you're intentional about it, it could be could be a little stretch, but it could be, right? If you're being mindful, 
Maybe if you're doing some deep breathing, if you're looking at relaxing things, but a lot of times we're not looking at relaxing things. We could be re-traumatizing ourselves and hyping up our nervous system even more because maybe the things that we're looking at are stressful, are traumatic, are harmful to our psyche. Things like, like human suffering in general. There's so many different areas. And us as social workers, we have a natural tendency to want to learn about these things, to be interested in human trafficking issues, in the homeless population, in struggles with addiction, right? So all of these things are really, really heavy topics. You may even have a passion for true crime, which is great, but that is also going to be hyping up your nervous system and not going to be relaxing. It might be entertaining, but not necessarily relaxing or reducing your stress levels, right? So the first and foremost thing that I want to start with is movement or exercise. And I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's true. It is so true. This is the fastest way that you can lower your stress levels, that you can make your body feel good. And I don't know why we hate hearing this so much, but I swear, if you just took 10 minutes out of your day or 30 would be great, right? 30 minutes out of your day to go for a walk, to dance, to do whatever it is that you want to do that moves your body, this is going to be the most effective and fastest way to reduce your stress right? It reduces your symptoms of depression and anxiety. It increases your ability to think, focus, be creative. It helps you be able to learn better. It improves your judgment skills and it's helpful for your overall well-being. And before you tell me that you don't have time, if you did two and a half to five hours per week of moderate exercise, that is only 3% of your time per week. I know that you do more scrolling than that. I know that some of us do two and a half hours of scrolling per day. So you cannot tell me that there is no time. What I would believe though, is that you didn't make the time. You didn't create the time. You didn't create the opportunity. And there's plenty of ways to get creative here with movement exercise. You could wake up a little bit early. You could take a 15-minute lunch break and walk around the block at work. You can walk around the block when you come home from work. You, If you have exercise equipment at home, use that for two 15-minute intervals. You don't even have to have exercise equipment. You can go on YouTube and look up 10-minute whatever you want to do, 10-minute dancing, 10-minute yoga stretching, 10 minutes push-up challenge. I don't know. But my point is, is that you do have the time. You just haven't made this a priority. And this is going to be the number one fastest way. And here as a social worker, we're all about efficiency. We're not trying to be wasting time. So you need to be efficient and intentional with your self-care. The next one that is going to be effective with your self-care is having a community of people that you have positive relationships with right? So research indicates that having three to five close friends is really the sweet spot to keep us healthy. It wards off depression and anxiety, and it lowers our stress levels. Even if you had positive interactions with strangers, that will do you more good 
than not having them at all. So you can call a friend, create that space for the relationships that are important to you, right? Schedule date nights, schedule times to meet up with your friends, coffee dates, whatever it might be. But be sure that we have these relationships because it's not fair to put all of your emotional and social needs on one person. It's not fair. And a lot of times that's what we end up doing is we have a significant other that we talk to all the time. We share all of our stories. We tell them all of our traumatic happenings at work as a social worker. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. It's not fair to ask them to be all of that for you. We need different relationships in our life. So that's why it's so important to have colleagues that you can talk to, that you can vent to, that you can debrief with, right? There's so many times in our work that I just need to call up somebody and say, hey, do you have like five minutes? I just need to talk about this client that I had. I just need to talk about the situation that I just had. And a lot of times, especially if I'm feeling confused or conflicted, when I'm able to talk out the whole situation, what happened, and I say like, I'm confused, but I'm not confused anymore because I've had a chance to process it. And they sometimes they don't even have to say anything. Say, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do now. Thank you. And that's it, right? And the conversation can be over. Or, of course, it can go deeper than that, right? They're, your colleagues are there because they get it. They're doing, they're doing similar work. And they're able to, uh, sometimes they're able to handle that emotional load for you. They're able to take some of that off. When you're having a bad day or a hard client, they're able they're they're able to be there to support you. This is where clinical supervision also comes in handy, right? Being able to have that person who is able to provide us feedback, is able to listen, is able to point out our strengths and point out ways that we can improve and do better so that we continue to learn and grow. And this is true on all levels right? Whether you are an intern, a student, a new new graduate in the field, even a supervisor yourself, we all need those people to be able to talk to. So that's one reason why I created the RISE directory, because if you need a supervisor, then go there. Go to the RISE directory because it is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library 
of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses, including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an Introduction to Suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. So if you need a clinical supervisor, definitely go and check the website, risedirectory.com, to see if there is one in your state that may be able to provide clinical supervision for you. It is vital to our work in clinical social work. Additionally, if you supervise people, it's important to get supervision and support for yourself. So that is why we also, with the RISE directory, we also provide peer clinical consultation for clinical supervisors. So definitely check that out. The link is in the show notes for that. So make sure that you have positive relationships in your life. The other one is make time for fun. It's important to have fun, to be able to laugh, to be able to, you know, have any kind of artistic expression, to do whatever it is that lights you up. It's important to have that fun as well. Also, next up is intentional breathing and mindfulness. Now, intentional breathing and mindfulness kind of go hand in hand. And essentially what I'm talking about here is the ability to to just be aware of what is going on for you at any given moment, right? That's what mindfulness is, is being aware of what is going on, of how you're feeling, how your body's feeling, how your emotions are doing at any given moment. And it's vital, it's vital to have this self-awareness because if you don't know how you're feeling or what your triggers are or what stresses you out even more, what lowers your stress level, if you don't have that self-awareness, it's going to be really hard to be intentional about your self-care and to be intentional about your boundaries and who you let into your life, what kind of energy do you have around you, right? So being able to be intentional and, and doing that deep breathing, because when we do the deep breathing, it is so powerful for our minds and our bodies and the ability to manage anxiety. And a lot of times when I say deep breathing, people kind of brush me off like, yeah, whatever, Catherine, I breathe all the time. Well, if you are anxious or stressed out, you're probably holding your breath because that's what our bodies do. When we encounter stress, our bodies are preparing us for fight or flight and we start to breathe more shallow. And this creates a cycle. So from our body to our mind and our mind back to our body. So if you were to just hold your breath or start breathing really shallow right now, your anxiety level would probably go up because we need oxygen to the brain. So if you're feeling stressed or anxious, one, be aware of how you're breathing. So think about how is my breath? And then be very intentional on taking deep breaths slowly because this will signal to your brain that you are safe 
and it's okay to calm down and relax. And the brain will then send a signal to the rest of your body that actually decreases your heart rate. It slows your breathing and it lowers your blood pressure as you relax. And the more that you practice it, the more efficient that your mind and body is going to get at lowering your stress level and really helping to bring you down so that you're not overwhelmed by emotion or anxiety, right? Some other ways that we can do effective self-care is show affection. So hugs are great. If we get four to 12 hugs per day, that is amazing because that is really kind of the goal that research has shown that will strengthen our immune system. It helps us feel safe and it can help increase our self-esteem and our confidence. Also, I thought this was pretty amazing that a warm 20 second hug can help your body feel like it has escaped a threat just as much as jogging a few miles would. Yes. So hugging is, it's, it's real. It's legit. It has been proven by research. So if you can get some hugs in, go ahead. I know it has been hard with COVID and worrying about germs, but if you can, please try to do that. Also too, if you feel like you need to cry, go ahead and cry. Ugly crying is not a bad thing. I know that we need to be aware and intentional about when we allow ourselves to cry. But if there's things going on in your life and you find that you are constantly pushing them down, pushing down those emotions, pretending like they're not there, pretending like it doesn't exist and stopping yourself from crying all the time, 24 seven, that is not good for your body. That is very, very toxic. So if there's things that are going on, allow yourself a set time to cry. If you feel like you need to cry, it is okay to just cry. Cry as much as you want or just say, I'm going to cry for 10 minutes. And it's really amazing because sometimes when you think that you're never going to stop crying, it doesn't take that long for you to stop crying. Because when you do, when your body feels that you're crying, your body brings up all of its resources to soothe and comfort you, which creates a feeling of stability right? So cry until you just naturally stop. It probably will not take that long. And you can even give yourself timely, like, I can't cry right now. I'm gonna cry when I get home when I'm alone, right? That's okay too. But as long as we have that time for our body to really express, express its emotions, right? That's what makes us human. So there's so many other ways to effectively self-care, but those are going to be the main ways. And lastly, just showing yourself self-compassion, right? So this is treating yourself like you would treat a friend who's going through a similar situation as you. Oftentimes our self-talk can be extremely harsh and mean and cruel. We can say the meanest things to ourselves, but if we had a friend who is going through the same situation we are, we would never, ever say those things to them. We would never call them stupid or dumb or you should have just known better, right? Or worse. No, we would be supportive. We'd say, look, you did the best that you could. We can try again tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day. 
We got this. We have done hard things before. We can do hard things now. We have overcome so much already in our past and we can overcome this too. We're not alone. We have people who love us. We have people who support us. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not be perfect. You are still learning. You're still growing. There's no such thing as failure until you stop trying, right? Failure is how we learn, how we grow. Because the times that we fail are the times that we learn how not to do things, how to do things differently. It gives us that insight into when we encounter this situation again, what are we not going to do? So give yourself self-compassion. Be kind to yourself. Pay attention to your thoughts and how they're impacting your mood. Because when we continue to tear ourselves down, to beat ourselves up after we mess up, it would be equivalent to, you know, tripping and falling and we break our wrist and we say, oh, this dumb wrist, it's useless. I can't use it right now. And you just continue to beat it up. You don't put a cast on it. You just leave it there all hurt and wilted and sad and continue to, to hit it. You're useless. We fell once and now this is what happened. No, that's not what we do. We don't do that with, we, sh we, d we don't need to be doing that with our mental health either. We shouldn't be doing that with our actions either. What do we do when we break a wrist? We nurture it. We wrap it up. We take care of it. We're gentle. And we need to do the same thing with ourselves. And I know this probably sounds corny, but I'm a, it's true. It's true. It can be as corny as you want it to be. It is still true that when we mess up, we need to be able to take the time to be like, look, that did not work out as planned. We feel a little broken now, but that is okay because we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to be gentle with ourselves. We're going to work on healing. Right. So if this episode has helped you at all, go ahead and send it to a friend. Text us to somebody because here at the Social Workers Rights Podcast, we are all about spreading information. I don't want to be gatekeeper of the information. This is what we need to know to be successful as new social workers. I do have a couple courses that might be helpful for you. If you want to know if you're working in a toxic environment, there's a course on that. If you need more confidence in your clinical skills in working one-on-one -on -one with clients in a clinical setting, then I have the, the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist course for you. If you're a medical social worker and you need more support and tools on how to have end-of-life conversations with patients and families, there's a course for that. And lastly, my most recent course is going to be the Success in Clinical Social Work, which is all about, what? well, three things actually. So I do talk a lot about wellness. So I cover these things, how to be well long-term as a social worker, how to take care of ourselves, how to recognize burnout. Also too, we talk about clinical supervision and money because we need money uh, in this field and in this work and just to live our lives, to pay our mortgages, to pay our rents, to go on trips, whatever you want to do. That freedom that money provides. I talk about different topics about money as far as negotiation, 
How do we, how do we advocate for ourselves? How do we ask for a raise? How do we network efficiently so that we can get into the roles and places that we want to be? So that is a really, really amazing course called Success in Clinical Social Work. Lastly, if you want resources as far as tips and tools and updates on the podcast, then join the Friday resource email list. This will allow me to be able to send you an email on Fridays, not every Friday, but I, I try. Uh, but it'll allow me to be able to send you emails of different happenings within social work that I think you might benefit from. So that is all for today. Thank you so, so much for being here and for everything that you do. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including Clinical Essentials, for the future therapist, and the Pulse Basics for medical social workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.